Christ, our hope in life and death. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together, church. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you, we come humbly before you, praying that you are our only hope in life and our only hope in death. It is Christ alone. Lord, open our eyes this morning to the truth of your scripture. Open our eyes to understand the glory of your son. Open our eyes to see who you are. Lord, that's our prayer. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Who am I? Who am I? I was a quarterback at the University of Purdue. I'm a partner at Walk-On's Restaurant. And I won a Super Bowl for the New Orleans Saints. Who am I? Drew Brees. Who am I? I was married eight times. I'm a skilled musician. I've killed a man. I wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible. I am David. I am David. Who am I? I have aspirations to be a pastor one day. I'm, I make funny noises. I'm tall and skinny, and people call me Sticks. I am Jonathan. It's fun to play Who Am I? many times, but, but the real question is bigger than who am I, isn't it? The, the real question that we as Christians is on our heart and should be very often is who is God? Because that truly defines so much more. This morning, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to take a, a, a brief break from the book of Daniel. Uh, We have an outreach event coming up soon in our church, and it is uh, Chuck or Treat, Escape from Egypt. October 30th, it is our job to present who is God, because it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter who you are, and ultimately it matters who God is. And so this morning, uh, that question will come front and center in the book of Exodus Uh, And if you have your Bible, I I would like to show it to you and say that much of the beginning of the book of Exodus is is answering that question. Who is God? Who is God? So with that said, I invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 5 and we'll begin in verse 1. And this is the beginning of the story. Now, just for context, if you're not familiar with the book of Exodus, Exodus is a story... And when I say story, I don't mean something made up. I mean a narrative. Uh, Exodus is the biblical story of God's people 
And uh, as uh, the men's class was discussing this morning, for 430 years, they were trapped uh, or, or in the land of Egypt. And uh, after the Pharaoh forgot Joseph, who interpreted his dreams, if you remember, uh, the Pharaohs were very favorable and even gave a special land to the people of within Egypt to the people of Israel or uh, the people, the children of Israel or Jacob. But over the 430 years, rather than still being a, a privileged group, if you will, they became a threatening group in many's eyes. So to to thwart that threat, they began to enslave them. And so you have a people that are under the slavery of Pharaoh after Pharaoh and, and helping them in the building projects of ancient Egypt. Well, then out of a bush one day, the angel of the Lord comes and he consumes that bush. Well, he rather does not consume that bush. He lights up that bush, but he doesn't consume it. And, and he speaks unto Moses and says, now you go, I have a plan for you, and I have a plan for the people, and you are the starts of this. You are going to go back from a land in which you left, and you are going to be my spokesperson or my representative to show Pharaoh who I am. We pick that up in Exodus verse five or chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they, should, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Pay attention. But Pharaoh said what? I don't think y'all are with me. But Pharaoh said what? Who is the Lord? Y'all got to be with me today. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Now, there's that question. Pharaoh's asking, who is the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, in the context of ancient Israel, you have to understand as you study that that ancient Israel was a land of many, many gods. They had a God for fertility. They had a God of the river. They had a God of of livestock. They had a God of insects. They had a God of just about anything you could could think of. They had a God of the sun. Uh, There were many gods and there was a a plethora of of deities for them to worship. And so when Moses says, "The, the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, you see Pharaoh's response of, Well, who is the Lord? I don't know this God and I don't know him. Since I don't know him, why should I obey anything that he tells me to do? This is Pharaoh's response, and it is one of disobedience to the command of the most high God. So let me let me stop and make a bit or at least a point here. Oftentimes. God is either known or unknown by people. And Christian, I want to, uh, to, to share with you that I think it is one of our primary responsibilities to be able to proclaim who God is. And Pharaoh is not the only one with the question of who is the Lord. 
There are plenty of people of, of gods out there for Pharaoh to bow down before and all of the people around him, for that matter, matter to bow down before. We live in a culture today where many, many things are calling for you to submit to their authority. And I don't mean like a police officer. I mean like a system. I mean like something that takes your heart and says, whatever it takes, I am going to humble myself before this, quote unquote, God. Now, we may not call them or have names or statues of them, but in our culture, we certainly have them. Powers that rule over our society. We can travel across the, the pond. There are many other you go to India, which has hundreds, if not thousands, of gods that they have and deities set up. You can walk into different businesses. I go to different businesses and I see little statues set up with fruit set aside as an offering. There are many, many gods. But even in our own culture, we have many, and I'm going to say versions of God that people call the Christian God. Sometimes it's not an accurate representation of what the Bible says. Sometimes they're not an accurate representation. And and church, I want to tell you, I believe we live in a culture that is very similar in, in, in many ways to what Pharaoh asked. Who is the Lord? Because if you ask people that you know that don't come to church or aren't a part of normal Christian church services... They have an idea who Jesus is. But do they know what the Bible says about Jesus' character and nature? Or do they know what they may have heard somewhere else? Who is the Lord? Well, Moses attempts to answer Pharaoh. Look in verse 3. Then they said... The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now, what do they do? How do they ask Pharaoh? What do they say? What are their words? Please let us go. As we watch through the story, that's going to change significantly. But it's as if here Moses is is making a, a kind and cordial and soft request to Pharaoh. How does Pharaoh respond? Look in verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of this land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And that same day, the Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people of their foremen, You shall no longer give the people what? Don't give them straw to make their bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. So, Pharaoh, did he really want to know who the Lord is? 
You know, you, you read this, you see his response, and, and probably his response was more like, who is that? It wasn't a genuine interest to know who the Lord is. It was like, why would the Lord have any sort of authority over me? Does that sound familiar to any of you? Who is God that he would have any authority over me and my life and my personal decisions? Who is that? Who is the Lord? So I ask you, Christian, who is the Lord? Do you know? Are you able to communicate well the character and the nature of who God is? Some may call God Mr. Nice Guy. He, he affirms everybody and whatever anybody wants to believe about him. Some may reference God as the God who doesn't want anybody to have fun ever. And he's all of seriousness. There are many, many understandings of who God is. But, but what does the Bible say? I read it this morning in Psalm 24. I don't know if you noticed. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is the king of glory? Lift up your head, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. And this is Yahweh Sabah. This is God's fighting name. I've shared this before. This is The God of armies, if you will. The God who is leading the army. He is the king of glory. Who is the Lord? Well, what, what Pharaoh is about to find out is the God of armies is going to send his army. And it's not just a, a, a foot soldiers. What does God's army look like? Well, first, it's going to look like control over the Nile River. So if you have your Bible, look look forward to Exodus 7, verse 16 to 18. All right, I'm going to help you out this morning. We are going to have this sanctuary full of young people who are trying to make their way through the ten plagues and escape from Egypt. Now, why do they need to escape is, is one of the first questions. And it's because there are terrible things that are happening in Egypt. So as we're here, my hope is that as we we bring them in and introduce to them what's going on is there is a terrible thing happening in Egypt. And it is your job to escape. And we'll get to the, the question of why is there a terrible thing going on in Egypt? And that's a great question. And and we need to answer that for them. Because they need to escape from, for some reason. Why was there a terrible thing happening in Egypt in Pharaoh's day? Because Pharaoh was what? Help me out. Yeah, Pharaoh was proud, arrogant, and disobedient to what God had called him to do. Let my people go that they may go and worship me. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm going to make them work harder. So what does he do? He turns the Nile to blood. Now, Mr. Wayne's going to help me out a little bit this morning. I've got some pictures. We're going to have these pictures on our events. This is plague number one. He's turning the water to blood. Now, the first plague for you to remember is 
Number one. So if you're willing to participate with me this morning, hold up your number one finger. All right. Now, what does the number one look like? It looks kind of like a river if you think about it. Now, rivers can sometimes wind and move. But you think about that. That one is going to look like the Nile River and it's turned to blood. So it's the first plague that God brings. All right. So number one plague, Nile to blood. Number one plague, Nile to blood. Let me read from Exodus chapter 7. Verse 16. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews sent to me saying, let my people go that they may serve me or worship me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Yahweh, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. What was Pharaoh's question? Who is the Lord? And how does the Lord answer? You want to know? By this you will know. I am the Lord. By this you're going to know who I am. And watch this theme work out throughout these plagues. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that's in the Nile. I will turn it to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die. The Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Now, as you know, in ancient Egypt, it is a, a very desert land. But there is this fertile Nile River that, that flows through, and, and the Nile was their life. As you know, people need water to live. Fish need water to live, not blood. Fish need water to live in. And there was so much life around this Nile River. And this was the hub of where life began and where life was sustained. Why do you think the Lord attacked the Nile River first? He wanted to show them that this gift that he had given them of the Nile River was not their God. Let me say that again. He wanted the Egyptians and Pharaoh to know that the gift that he had given them of the Nile River, which sustained their life, gave them life, was not their God. It was a gift from God. Now, they had a, a God called Happy, who was the God of this Nile River and Osiris. And these were gods. Now, what we're going to notice is as we walk through some of these plagues is that each of these things that the Lord attacks, the Egyptians have gods over these things. And so when Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord? The Lord is saying he's the God that is higher than your God of the river. He is the God that's higher than your God of fertility. He is your a God that is greater than your God of fill in the blanks as we walk through. Now, you can think about that. Well, it, it kind of makes sense for us, but, but we don't have a Nile River that, that kind of gives us life. And so in our culture, in this community, uh, we have several things that are very important to the way of life. You can think about Dow Chemical, how, how much that makes, or Shintech, or any of the plants that, that drive our community in so many ways. That is a lifeblood to our community. This is what the Lord is attacking and saying, you know what? I am bigger than these things. 
I am an authority over these things. I am their God. How about the government? Oftentimes people don't, can't make it day but today without government assistance. God is bigger. God is greater than that. And people who depend on and invest all of their time and resources into government, whether red, blue, or anywhere in between. God is over that and should drive things in our hearts over that. First plague was what? The Nile to blood. Second plague. We've got a picture for you on that one too. Second plague that we're going to be trying to escape from. And this is uh, Dennis made a, a, a big frog platform that they're going to be trying to get frogs moved from one place to another by slapping them and letting frogs fly through the air. It's going to be great. Uh, this is plague number two. Two frogs. So number one is the Nile River. One looks like the Nile River. Now number two, and I, I can't draw it for you up here today, but this is the way that I was taught and I've just remembered it. It's crazy. I know. But this is how I remember it. Um, the number two, if you draw it, kind of is a hook and comes around. Number two, think about how you draw two. And I'm doing that backwards, aren't I, for you. Uh, number two would come up, around, and then over. That makes sense? Y'all see me? Yeah? All right? That two, uh, it, it looks like a coat hanger in some ways. In fact, we've got some coat hangers that are, are designed like that. So here's the way that I, that I remember the second plague is the frogs. And that is this as crazy it may sound, is you take that number two coat hanger and you hang your frog skin coat on it. All right? Everybody's got a frog skin coat, right? Kind of crazy. But think of your frog skin coat. You're hanging on there. That is the number two. So one is Nile River. You don't have a frog skin coat? Get with it. You, y'all, y'all are too young for frog skin coats. Everybody's got a frog skin coat. Number two, all right, let's look at, now, a couple of things. Frogs for ancient Egypt signified, as strange as it may sound, but it, it, it was signified and the symbol of their god of fertility, as we've talked about before. Uh, this was God attacking the, the god of fertility. So we, we may not think about frogs as uh, very special characters, but in ancient Egypt, we, we know today that uh, that. That cows in certain areas, like in, in India and Hindu societies, uh, are they symbolize a god and they are sacred to certain folks. Well, the frogs, in, in a similar way, had a very sacred type of, um, um, of, of symbolism to ancient Egypt. Um, god has put himself over two of the prominent gods of their society... And both of them, in this case, uh, you think about why it could have happened. Well, the Nile River turns to blood. Where do all the frogs go? They leave the land or the place where they're, they're, uh, they're living and doing frog things. And they make their way all over the place into the land of Egypt. And they harass people. Um, and you've seen, I know you, many of you have probably seen the Ten Commandments. You see them opening their jars and the frogs jumping out or whatever it may be. Exodus 8, 8 tells it this way. The Pharaoh, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people. And then I'll let the, the Lord and I'll let the people go and sacrifice. Uh, Pharaoh says, plead with them. So it was a big deal. Uh, not often do we find a Pharaoh, a leader of the community coming to a shepherd, wandering shepherd person and pleading with them to do anything. 
Remember how Moses or how Pharaoh started this? Oh, who is that? I'm going to make your work even harder to now he comes and pleads because God is using his army. In the first case, it's his river. In the second case, it's his frogs to influence and reveal who he is. God is over the waters. God is over the amphibians. God does what he wants to do. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases with everything. Plague number three. Number one was what? Help me out. Now the blood. Plague number two is frog skin coat. Frogs. Number three. What do, what do frogs eat? Yeah, they eat gnats and flies. Well, we're going to do three and four. Gnats and flies. The gnats are going to be smaller and they're going to grow up into flies. I know that's not what science does, but uh, that's not, not true. But we're going to think of it this way. You've got the Nile River. Then you've got the frogs. Then you've got gnats and then flies. So let's talk about gnats and flies together. Now, if you have King James, you're going to see lice there. Um, there's just one Hebrew word. Uh, and as scholars would have it, I'm going to go with the, um, with the most... Uh, the, the majority of scholars would call them gnats. So I'm going with that this morning. The Lord creates. Now, this is interesting. Um, how does Moses do it? Um, the Lord creates from the dust to show his glory. Now, if you remember back in creation, what did God form man out of? Dust. What did he create the animals out of? Uh, if you Bible trivia, folks, you know this one on Thursday nights. What did he create the animals out of? Out of dust. We looked at that. Well, what does God create the gnats out of? Moses does it with the dust. So out of the dust, God creates to show his glory once again and and show Pharaoh who he is. Who is the Lord? He's the Lord over the waters. He's the Lord over the amphibians. And now he's the Lord over gnats. And as you know, gnats can be quite, quite Annoying. If you've ever been fishing in the marsh oh, and you come back with red dots all over you, you know why you came back with red dots all over you. They even sell stuff you spray on your body to keep the gnats away. How annoying are gnats? Now imagine this is what he does. God brings gnats to show who he is. And look what his magicians say. Um, incidentally, the magicians are able to kind of reproduce some of the things on the first two plagues. No longer. The mag- even the magicians and sorcerers come to, to Pharaoh and they tell him, let's look in uh, Exodus eight nineteen. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And we can't do this. This is the finger of a God that's higher than us. But what happened to Pharaoh? What's the scripture say? Help me out. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now, I'll ask you a question. Y'all, many of you are familiar with this story. Um, and Wayne, I'm going to go back a little bit in my notes to Exodus 7, 3 through 5. If... If all God wanted to do was get his people out of Israel, could he have gotten them out? 
Like immediately? Just like that? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. But did he do that? No, he did not. So so our, our mind needs to think of, well, why didn't he do it that way? Right? God can do whatever he wants to do. But he didn't do it that way. In fact, we just saw that God hardened. The Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Look, look back at chapter earlier. This is God saying it's going to happen. Exodus 7 verse 3 through 5 says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will, will do what? He will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgments. The Egyptians shall know that what? I am the Lord. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God was putting on a show. He was demonstrating who he was. And sometimes we think of God and, and we put him in boxes or we think we've got him figured out. God was displaying something. God could have snapped his finger and changed Pharaoh's heart. We're studying Daniel, right? I mean, the, the Lord changes Daniel's heart like, a, like he turns a stream, he says. You read uh, the book of Esther. And you see God calling and changing the king's heart. It's just like that. He doesn't do it here. He hardens, in fact, Pharaoh's heart. So that he might show that he is God over, help me out, the Nile. He is God over the, the frogs. He's God over the gnats. And he's God over the... All right, y'all got the first four. Y'all are doing great. Y'all are doing great. We got pictures. Did you show the picture of the gnats? There's number one, two. There's the gnats. Nice and mean, ugly gnats. And number four, y'all told me again, was what? There they are, the flies. They look kind of like elephants, but they're flies. We have a great creative arts team here. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. All right. Uh, Goshen is where the people of Israel lived. Now, up until this point, all the plagues had been upon also the people of Israel. Now God is going to draw some distinction between his people and Pharaoh's people. Between his people and the ones who have oppressed his people. And, and this is where the change takes place. Some might ask, well, why did he wait till the fourth plague to do that? Think about that. You can answer that question. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth or in the land. Again, 
so that you may know that I am the Lord. God is displaying who he is. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. You're going to know that my people are set apart from other people. There is a my people group and then there's the others. And it's still that way today. God has a people. A peculiar people, a people who he's called to be distinct, a people who may even be ridiculed or criticized or called hateful because they have different standards and a different word by which we live by. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came such a great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into the house, into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was what? Do you see that? The land was what? Ruined. Now, how can flies ruin land? I can tell you what flies did when we went to the beach just recently. There was one point I said, hey, or somebody said, hey, I want to go to the beach. And somebody else in the family said, no, I don't want to go. What, Abby? Get bitten by the flies. Now, I don't know what kind of flies were sent to Egypt, so I don't have any kind of inside information. But it was flies. I can tell you when we were at the beach and I was... Throwing a fishing line out, there were flies on my legs biting me. So flies can ruin a, a trip to uh, a trip to the beach. Flies can ruin the land of Egypt, and God uses them however He wants. But what the Scripture is very clear is that the land was ruined by swarms of flies. God is displaying that He is God over the insect world, and that's. And flies. So help me out. Plague number one is God over the Nile River, blood, water to blood. Plague number two is froggies. Plague number three, gnats grow up to be not really, but in our story they do. All right. Blood, frogs. Frogs eat gnats and flies. You can remember the first four. You've got them. We're going to go through one more this morning. And we'll pick up next week. What, what's the next number? Five. It's five. All right, so you're walking through. Five. Oh, that poor little cow, Barry. You ever seen a cow look like that? Yeah. Uh, that's a, a sad-looking cow. We've got medicine bottles in our building here. We're going to be throwing some medicine to the cows, trying to get the medicine bottles in the cow's mouth. If you have any spare medicine bottles, bring them up here. I think we got a basket in the back. No, don't bring them. We got no. Bring them. We got a, a basket in the back. Uh, you can throw them in there. Uh, take your name off of them, of course. Um, but we're going to be throwing medicine bottles to our sick little cows. Now, five, if you add the word stock after five, what does that make? It makes a new word called what? Five stock. And that sounds a lot like the word. Livestock, doesn't it? 
So five stock is the livestock. Plague number five. You got one, the Nile River. Looks like a river. Number two is your frog skin coat. Frogs eat gnats. Gnats grow up to be flies. And then you're on five stock. All right, you got five. You got five plagues. Y'all may think I'm silly, but I can name the ten plagues. I can name ten plagues in order, right? Livestock. Let's look at what the scripture says. Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9, verse 7. Uh, this is interesting. Pharaoh is an interesting cat here. He, he, he does things you expect and then things you don't expect. Look what he does. Chapter 9, verse 7. He says, and Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of what? Of Israel was dead. So Pharaoh says, all my cows are dying. They didn't get the medicine bottles in time. All my cows are dying from the plague. And he says, go check out the Israelite cows. He's just learned that they didn't get that last plague. So he wants to know, is God picking on me? Is God picking on Pharaoh? Yeah, he is. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Oh, you want to know who I am? I can show you who I am. And he sends on the Nile. He sends the frogs. He sends the what? Gnats. He sends the what? Flies. And he sends the what? The livestock plague. And he sends, and he sends spies over there. And, and there, none of the cows in Israel were dead. They're livestock. And that may include more than just cows. But... None of the livestock was dead. And the Bible says, but the heart of Pharaoh was what? It's not over yet, Pharaoh. It's not over yet. You've got more to learn. Egypt, you've got more to learn. Israel, you've got more to learn. God did not send them. Now, remember, this is against the gods of Egypt to show all of the people that false gods are not gods, are not true gods. Uh, this god, Hathor and Apis, are the ones we're listing here. Um, and, and Numbers even speaks about this plague. If, you, if you'll look at Numbers 33, verse 4. Numbers 33, verse 4 says this. While the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgments. So these gods, and so more than likely, and we've talked about this before, but these were demonic representations, demonic, um, demonically inspired gods, these gods that they're worshiping. And God is, is showing that it is a judgment upon that whole system. That God is raining down these plagues upon them to answer the question, who is the Lord? He is the Lord of hosts. He is God in heaven. So let me stop there with our walk through the plagues. And I want to close with a verse from the New Testament. So here we're saying, I asked you earlier, what's the problem? Why do they have to escape from Egypt? The problem is that there is disobedience to the Lord of hosts. There is an affront to God to say, all of these gods are my gods, and I'm going to do what I want to do. And not even that, I'm going to oppress your people. 
And God's wrath was stirred up against the sin of Pharaoh. And we probably all in this room sit back and go, yeah, Pharaoh was a bad dude. I know that's what y'all were all thinking, right? That Pharaoh is a terrible guy. And that's true. Why was Pharaoh such a bad guy? And, and here's, here's something that I, I don't know if you've thought about it this way. Pharaoh was a bad dude because he could be a bad dude and get away with it. You know what I'm talking about? You get away with what you can get away with, right? That's part of our flesh. We, we get away with what we can. Pharaoh was elevated to a place to where nobody was going to tell him, don't do that. So Pharaoh continued to do whatever he could get away with. Now here's the question. What about us? What about John Doe in our community or in our family? See, the restraint oftentimes to keep us from doing so many bad things is that we can't get away with it. And if you have any sort of doubts about that, I can ask you, okay, well, when nobody's watching, do you do the right thing? Or do you sometimes slip into things that you know are not right? Pharaoh got away with what he could get away with. And so do we. And what does that ultimately come down to? We've said it several times today. Pharaoh was disobedient to God. So the message that we as Christians are proclaiming and want to share with our community, share with ourselves often, share with our families, the people we live with, the people we go to school with, the people we work with, is that there is a price for disobedience. Disobedience is displeasing to God and it stirs up in him. An anger, a wrath. And that wrath is not subsided without a just payment. And so this is why we as Christians, we teach the doctrine of hell. That there is a place where God does punish the disobedient. Where God does take those who abuse and hurt people. God takes those who disobey any of his commands. And he says, this is the payment for disobedience. To God, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That there is a punishment and a payment for sin. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, God's grace was upon his people in his Egypt. God's grace was upon them. He placed his grace. He placed his grace upon Noah and told him to build an ark. Build an ark. He placed his grace upon Abraham and said, I'm going to... Raise up from you, from your descendants, one who will bring salvation. God's grace was upon Egypt, not Egypt, but Israel in Egypt. And he said, I will deliver you from the bondage. Which brings me to this New Testament verse. It's in Matthew chapter 16. It's at the very end, Wayne. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 17. This question that Pharaoh asked, who is the Lord? 
was a question that was also asked in the New Testament. Jesus said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who am I? Who is Jesus? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. So church, let me close out by saying this. There is but one rescue from the wrath of God. And his name is Jesus Christ. If you don't know him today, I invite you to ask questions. Talk to somebody in this room. Come talk to me. Who is salvation? His name is Jesus. Who is the Lord? He is Jesus Christ. And he has been revealed to us to save us for our escape, not from Egypt, but from our escape from the United States of America. And our escape from the gods of our age. Jesus Christ saves sinners that repent. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful for your salvation that you brought to us in Jesus Christ. We are grateful, O God, that you rescue sinners who repent and come seeking solace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, save souls in, in this church building, save souls in our families, save souls in this community, and may you use us to proclaim that Jesus Christ saves. Lord, we love you and trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.